Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Randall Monroe will join us to discuss the how-to. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Show. Well, for every problem, there's a right way, a wrong way, and an absurdly complex way to do things. And joining us to discuss the latter is Mr. Randall Monroe. Mr. Monroe is the well-known creator of XKCD, and has recently released a book entitled How To, Absurd Scientific Advice for Common Real-World Problems. And Mr. Monroe, very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to have you on the program. Certainly a fascinating new book, How To, Absurd Scientific Advice for Common Real World Problems. I'm sure most people know you as the creator of XKCD, so how you started that comic and how it's grown in popularity through the phenomenon it is today. Sure. I started drawing comics really when I was in school and should have been paying more attention. And, and But I would doodle in the sides of my, uh, of my notebooks and in my, uh, on my assignments. And at some point when I was in college, I had all these drawings that I didn't really want to throw out because I liked them, but they were all in, in these old notebooks. And so I started scanning them in. And like a lot of people in the early 2000s, I had a website that I didn't really know what to do with. And so I posted them in a folder on there so I could show them to some friends. And at the same time, I was doing a physics degree at Christian Newport University in southeastern Virginia. And so I was occasionally also posting these diagrams or interesting charts I made. But after a while, I noticed people had started to pass them around that were in this folder. And so I set up a little website where you could browse all of my drawings and started making more of them. And by that time, I was working on robotics at the NASA Langley Research Center. But then people started asking me if they could get T-shirts or posters or prints of my of some of my comics, you know, some of these drawings I had made. And before I knew it, I was working as a full-time cartoonist. When my contract ran out at NASA, I realized I could just support myself instead of trying, you know, getting a new contract. I could support myself by doing comics. Your comics really touch a, a nerve among technically minded people. The comic itself is built as a webcomic of romance, sarcasm, math, and language. So it really touches a lot of different areas, a collection of your philosophies, or how did you come up with the different topics for the comic? I really just do comics about whatever it is that I'm kind of thinking about or enjoying at the time, whatever I get a kick out of. And so I just kind of took a look at what kind of stuff that covered. And that's, you know, it's like more descriptive than prescriptive. Many of them, I think, capture some aspects of the dual mindsets of being technically minded, but also having to live in a world and trying to balance the two. of Yeah, and everyone who has a technical mindset also lives in the world. And so I guess it shouldn't be a surprise to me that, that writing about how scientists feel about things, you know, there, there are a lot of scientists who have feelings. In fact, uh, uh, all scientists have feelings. And so... I think that it sort of seemed a little surprising at first that people would be like, oh, oh, these are these are comics about science, but 
but it's not dry and educational or boring or whatever. But, but scientists aren't boring. You know, they're like anyone else. They, they're complicated and interesting. So I, I think that combining those things, technical material and everyday life, it's kind of natural because everyone is doing it. It's, that's one thing I learned from this is from doing comics and from doing my books is that a lot of people feel the way I do about like what's interesting and what's cool about science. And, and that's been really, it's been really neat, uh, really neat to connect with other people who are excited by the same stuff that I am and feel, feel like I do about, about the world. Especially in, in today's political climate, science is under attack. Do you think finding ways of making science accessible is particularly important? Um, yeah, I think so. Like I mentioned, I did a physics degree, and that's that's one thing that I think one of the real weak spots uh, physicists have. As a physics major, I know we can be a little bit like, well, we have we have all the answers in every other field, and and we know how to solve every problem. And every other field is just physics applied. And I and I've certainly exhibited that myself, but I try to I try to be a little bit humble about that. You know, I don't know that necessarily my area of science is more is always more important. You know, I think like right now, I think it's hard to to argue that any field is more important than the atmospheric science around climate change. Maybe the, the biotic resistance people and maybe uh, nuclear proliferation. But like there are a lot of that, th those are, you know, three kind of small areas of science. Maybe those are really more important. But then then a lot of other stuff. I don't know. I don't know if physics in general is more important than other fields that people might be studying or other topics. But what I can talk about is why I'm interested in it, why I have fun with it. And like when I was a little kid, I, I actually thought I I thought I liked science, but then I took a bunch of science classes and none of it really clicked for me. And I and I just was finding frustrating. And I said, OK, well, maybe I don't really like science. And it was only when a teacher was like, oh, hey, you know, you were interested in this question. Let me go get a textbook that will answer it. And she gave me a physics book. And that had was slipping through. And I'm like, oh, this is the science I like. You know, this is the stuff that I'm really interested in. And so I'm, I'm trying to share the parts of science that things, the questions that I found interesting, some of which are questions that at first I didn't see why it was cool or why it was interesting, so that then maybe someone else can uh, come across this and, and realize, oh, this is, the, this is stuff that I want to learn about too. Is it also uh, the way physicists approach problems? Is it a way of thinking about problems in a slightly different way? Yeah, I think, think that one, one reason that I felt uh, really drawn to physics was that it's a real balancing act bet between coming up with abstract general models for things that are so simple as to be almost useless, but then... If you go too abstract, you just find yourself doing pure math, which isn't connected to the real, you know, like connected to the real world at all. But then if you do pay attention to practical problems and you get more and more practical, eventually you start, you find yourself just in pure engineering. And physicists, I feel like, wander back and forth between kind of the big picture and the individual cases, trying to come up with an overarching model that explains a bunch of things, but then being really interested in how that model applies to real problems or to real small, you know, weird details. And I don't know, you know, how much that's unique to physics or how much that's just a lot of different fields, but I think that that's part of why I feel like I've got, I get along with uh, other physics people so well. And it's part of what's really appealing about these why I take that same approach in writing about everyday problems where I'm kind of trying, I try to think about, okay, here's a problem that you might have specifically, but can we solve the more general version? Can we make it abstract? And can we, you know, there's how to cross this river, but is there, you know, how do you cross rivers in general? How do you get across things, you know, and, and then, and then step out until we have a model for how you, how you move across things that you need to move over physically. 
and then kind of get more specific and say, okay, which which of those could apply to this river or that river? And sometimes you get you can just get to a, a, a weird model, a weird idea, but then you apply it and you get a surprising or interesting answer out of it. I came up with what I thought was a ridiculous way to cross a river when I was thinking, okay, if you're standing there and you want to get over to the other side, but you can't walk or swim or there's no bridge, no boat. And I just started thinking about, okay, well, there's air and the air is flowing so you could have a balloon. But what if, uh, uh, if you don't have any helium, you could use a kite and you could fly a kite out uh, and the air would lift the kite up, but it, the wind would also take it down, uh, downwind. And if the river's downwind, you could get a kite across the river and maybe climb across that rope. And there aren't any human carrying kites used for river crossings, but they did use kite to bridge a canyon downstream from Niagara Falls when there was no other way they could think of to get a cable across to start a bridge. They held a kite flying contest for little kids uh, to come and and uh, some uh, teenager, a teenage boy, uh, Homan Walsh, after a few days of trying, successfully got a kite across the gap and they used that rope to get the, the initial cables for the bridge. And so what I thought was this ridiculous idea for like, well, how would you get from this side of the river to the other side actually had a, not only what did it make sense, but it had actually been used in a form uh, to solve a real problem that someone had. And honestly, I was kind of surprised. Your book is actually filled with some of these very interesting examples. You kind of, as you mentioned, go from sort of the specific case to the general case. And then one of the ones was how to dig a hole and a pirate example. And yeah, yeah. I, I was amazed to, to learn that the entire concept of buried treasure, like a lot of the stuff from pirates, basically came from Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, which in turn was using the example of Captain Kidd burying treasure on Gardner, uh, Gardner's Island, which is to this day the only documented case of a pirate burying treasure somewhere and then leaving instructions for how to find it. And that treasure was immediately dug back up and uh, handed over to the authorities after Kid went on trial. <laughs> so like there was only there's only one buried pirate treasure out there and it has already been dug up. How did you come up with these various questions and what would you like people to take home from reading this book? Well, so I came up with the questions partly by thinking about uh, problems that I have in life. Like I have to move sometimes and it's a huge hassle. Are there ways I could make it easier? And then I think of a way that like wouldn't actually make it easier, but maybe it would work. And it's interesting to think about why or why it would or wouldn't. But then there were other cases where I just came across some really interesting research and wanted to think, okay, this is a cool piece of research. How would you apply it to a problem? You know, is there some way that you could use this? you know, Cold War military technology in, uh, you know, around the house. And what I really want people to take away, I guess, is just is that say there are no stupid questions. And I don't really think that's true. But even even stupid questions have answers. And sometimes the answer is more interesting than you expect. And so everyone goes into life not knowing stuff and has to learn it along the way. So don't be embarrassed about asking ridiculous questions. Everyone has to learn everything they know somewhere. And if you ask about stuff you don't know more often, you can learn some really surprising and cool stuff. So ask lots of questions. Don't be shy. Well, we were just speaking with Mr. Randall Monroe. He's the creator of XKCD, and his new book is entitled How to Absurd Scientific Advice for Common Real World Problems. And Mr. Monroe, thank you so much for joining us today on the Garak Science Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure to chat. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.